Well, as Pastor was mentioning, he's uh, been challenging us and kind of going through this series in the book of Acts. And he's been telling us if we want a year like we've never had before, if we want 2015 to be different than all the other years that we've had, then we are going to pray. We are going to need to pray and be deliberate about how much we pursue God. And that's going to be the differentiation. That's what's going to change 2015 than all, from all of our other years. And he's been challenging us to make an appointment with God. You know, a lot of times when we wake up, the day's already sort of rolling out from under us. And it's hard for us to find time in our day to really meet with God. And so he's been saying, hey, make an appointment with God the night before and then keep that appointment. You guys have heard him say that, right? Well, I took that to heart and I was like, hey, that's pretty good. I think I'm going to try that. And I will tell you guys, I'm, I'm what they call a transparent speaker. So y'all are going to be all up in my business today. Is that okay? So I just, I'm going to tell you the truth because one, why would I lie in church? And two, I think I'm probably, I am who I am and I'm just going to lay it out there. So I, I took it to heart And I was making an appointment with God and I was like rolling. And my appointment with God is my husband gets up about an hour before the rest of the house because he's got to leave a bit earlier. And I was like, that's perfect. The kids aren't up. He's kind of doing his thing. I can spend some time with the Lord. So I was really doing well, keeping this appointment. Third day in, guys. Third day in. And I'm the chief of staff at a church. I slept right through my appointment with God. Right through it. And I honestly, as soon as I realized I'd done it, I kind of sat up in bed and I was like, um, Lord, I, this was literally the conversation I had with the Lord. Um, I have a feeling that you canceled on me because <laughs> yes, I, maybe I should pray for your chief of staff and your senior pastor. I don't know because every good gift comes from the father of light and Lord, I, that extra hour of sleep, it was good. Jesus, it was good. <laughs> So, Lord, that was your gift to me, and I received it. I received it, Lord. So I'm going to need to reschedule that appointment with you. But, Lord, you're good. You're so good. I love your cancellation policy. It's very forgiving, you know? I literally had that conversation with God. And so I was loading the dishwasher, finding somebody's shoe, plunging a toilet. Every morning, guys, Monday through Friday, every morning without fail, someone can't find their shoe. I don't get it. I have two kids. You have to wear two shoes to school every morning. It's like one, we have a shoe elf that hides the shoe in the house. So every morning I'm finding a shoe, I'm loading a dishwasher because kids are funny. They want to eat like three times a day. It's like every morning they wake up and they expect to eat. So I'm loading a dishwasher. And then on top of that, I don't know what it is about the morning, but everybody uses the bathroom at my house and they go crazy. So I'm fixing something in the bathroom. I'm plunging a toilet. I'm doing whatever. Every morning it's like that. And I was doing one of those three things, trying to figure out when I was going to multitask God in. Lord, I missed my appointment this morning. Well, that's up for debate. We missed each other, Lord. (laughs) You know? I got an extra hour of sleep. And when I was like, well, I've got a, Avery's got a brownie meeting. I can sit in car line and spend some time with you, Lord. I've been trying to ride my bike, you know, which has been pretty entertaining. I realized I need a tractor seat in order to ride a bike comfortably. <laughs> that, was, that was rather eye-opening for me. I see all these people riding bikes in the woodlands, and they look really cool doing it. You know what I look like riding a bike? 
Yeah, you don't. You don't want to know what I look like riding a bike. I need a tractor seat. So I'm like, you know, maybe I can spend some time with the Lord while I ride my bike. You know what I mean? I'm trying to figure out when I'm going to squeeze the Lord in because I've missed my appointment. My day's chocked full. And I felt the Holy Spirit in that moment just kind of speak to me in a way that I knew it was God. You guys, it's not an audible voice. It's not anything like booming from the heavens. It's not an angel. But you know that you just know when the Lord's talking to you. You kind of feel it right here. You know what I mean? And I felt the Lord just kind of speak to me. And he said, Sarah, you do not have a time management problem. You get a lot of things done in a day. And I kind of felt like, well, thank you, Lord. And thanks for that hour of sleep. Thank you. And then in the next breath, I heard him say to me, Sarah, your challenge is where you spend your day. Your challenge is how you prioritize your day. That's what you've got to dial in on. Kaboom! You ever have a moment like that? Where the voice of the Lord can be so quiet and yet reverberate in your spirit. So I was like, well, Lord, you're right. I need to work on that. And so I want to come to you this morning, and I kind of got this message birthed out of that personal experience and, and building on Pastor Frankie's challenge to us that if we want a year like we've never had before, we are going to have to make an appointment with God and spend more time with God. But I'm here today to challenge you that if we want to just change the way we live, how about we just live different? Not just for a year, not just because it's a New Year's resolution, but how about we just live different like God called us to live? That it's going to mean that you and I have this life where we live in the sweet spot of where we're connecting with God and we're connecting with people. And we live right here at this right angle, the sweet spot. And it changes the way we look at life. It changes the way we prioritize our time. And we kind of find out now this is how we should live. Amen? So I don't know about you guys. But when I have a demanding schedule, I feel completely unfulfilled. I get a lot of stuff done, but I don't feel like I'm really living the way God called me to. So that's what I want to talk about today, how we're going to live connected to God and connected to people. And so we're going to jump in the word today together. It's in Mark, the first chapter, if you have your Bible, Mark chapter 1. And if you don't have your Bible, don't worry. I'm going to just read it and we're going to have it on the screens. But Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He did not miss his appointment, unlike Sarah Stevens. (laughs) He got up. He left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon, also known as Peter... And his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also, because that is why I've come. So we traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Now I want to just sit here on this word and kind of unpack it a little bit. And kind of take it down layer by layer. I recently read a great book by Kevin DeYoung. And he says in this book, he has this quote. It's called, the book is called Crazy Busy. And if you want a good read, pick up this book, Crazy Busy by Kevin DeYoung. And he has this quote in the book. And he says, more Christians are killed by busyness than bullets. And that kind of just stuck 
with me because I realized the truth of it. It's so profound. And we sit here, we have this picture of Jesus, and Jesus is right out of the starting blocks of his ministry. He just got baptized by John the Baptist. He just spent 40 days and nights in the wilderness fasting. He is hitting the ground running. He hasn't even called all of his disciples. He's only got like three or four of the disciples out of the 12. That's how early on we are in Jesus's ministry. And he's hitting the ground running and he's healing people and doing amazing miracles in Capernaum. And word's getting out. Hey, this guy's different. You know, John, he preached a good gospel, but this man is teaching with authority. You know, this man is delivering people. This man is healing people. And his ministry is just exploding. And this scripture that we just read is our first peek at what Jesus does the minute his schedule gets a little bit busy. The minute his ministry is starting to take off, it says he got up and went to a solitary place and prayed. And I'm like, well, Lord, what what am I supposed to glean from this other than the fact that I need to make an appointment with you? And this is my my challenge for myself and to you this morning, that if we are going to live life in the sweet spot, if we're going to live life connected to God and connected to others, the first thing Jesus teaches us in this scene is that we have to discern between the voice of God and demands. Jesus has demands lined up ready to take on his day. The reason Peter and the disciples went and looked for Jesus and were pretty excited when they found him was they probably had lepers all over the front lawn. People were finding where Jesus lived. And they're like, hey, you healed this guy yesterday. You taught with authority in the temple the other day. I'm here. I need a miracle. And so the disciples wake up and they're like, hey, where's Jesus? He's not in the house. And they realize we got to find that guy because without him, we got nothing. We got nothing to offer these people. And so they go out and they're looking for Jesus. And when they find him, they exclaim, which is a very nice way of saying they're yelling at him. Where you been? Where you been? We got lepers lined out the front door. We've got customers, man. Ministry is hot and heavy. You are finally hitting the big time. Let's get back to the house. Let's, let's make this thing happen, Jesus. Demands, demands, demands. And you and I, we don't have lepers on our front porch every morning. If you do, we need to talk. (laughs) Demands look different to us in 2015. Demands to us look like, oh, I've got to get this. I've got to get to work by 830. Traffic is a bear. Oh, my gosh, I've got to get that school project done. Oh, my gosh, I've been meaning to connect with that person, but I just haven't had time. I'm just too busy. Have you ever seen people at church and you're like, I think that's a really cool couple. And I would love to take them out to lunch, but things are just so busy. Let me get the kids in school. Let me get the house painted. Let's get this done. Everybody's been through that. Demands look different to us in 2015, but we still face them the same way Jesus faced them. And so Jesus is sitting there, and just like you and I, he's got a choice. He can allow the voice of God tell him where to spend his time, or he can let demands tell him where to spend his time. You and I are in the same place. We've got the same choice every day. Both voices want to tell you where to spend the next 24 hours. But one voice has divine appointments in mind. I'll share a very personal story, and I kind of feel a little... I don't know, intimidated or a little uneasy about sharing it. 
I was 33 years old. I had moved here to the Woodlands. I had two small children, was really taking, my career was taking off in the private sector. I was doing really, really well. My husband and I had bought a home here in the Woodlands. We had cars that got us where we needed to go. I mean, we tithed. We went to church on Sunday. Things were just kind of hitting on all cylinders. It was a good season. And my birthday was coming up. And, you know, whenever you have a birthday, you know, you kind of do a little bit of self-examination. You know what I mean? And I went through this season. I was about to turn, I think, 33. And I was like, man, you know, Jesus was 33. And he he had the, and I was like, no, no, you can't compare yourself to Jesus. You know, that's just totally different. But I'm sitting there, I'm like, 33. And I said, Todd, I went to my husband and I said, honey, I just feel like I've been working really hard and I don't have anything to show for it. He's like, Sarah, what are you talking about? We love each other. We're in a good marriage. We have a beautiful home. We have healthy children. What do you mean you don't have anything to show for it? I said, Todd, I wake up every day and I feel like I get a lot of stuff done. But I just feel like I don't have anything to show for it because I feel so disconnected. I mean, we've lived here four years and I don't have any friends to show for it. I said, Todd, look me in the eye. If you die today, who's going to carry your casket? We don't know. Oh, yes, he laughed just like that. He was very nervous. He was like, really? Well, I feel pretty healthy, honey. <laughs> you know? I'm like, no, no, follow me, follow me. You die today. We don't have seven friends. We don't have seven families that we're close enough to that I could go to and say, hey, will you carry my husband's casket? Pastor Frankie's going ki- to preach a killer sermon, but he can't preach you and carry you in the same funeral, Todd. And Todd's like, well, Sarah, you know, sweetie, I've got the answer to this. Cremate me and you can put me in an urn and then you can carry me to the funeral. I'm like, baby, baby, you're missing the point here. The point is not about you dying, although I am thinking more about it now. You know, the point here is not that you're going to die. The point is we need to make friends. We've been going through all the motions. We've been doing what God's called us to do and doing good things, earning a living, paying your bills, loving your children, taking care of your house. These are good and godly things. But I said, I feel like all I'm doing is this. I got nothing to show for this and I'm lonely. And I said, so Todd, for my birthday, I want you to give me friends for my birthday. His face looked like this. He's like, I'd rather find pallbearers. <laughs> it's like, keep talking. You'll need them, you know? I said, no. I said, it's going to be easy, Todd. It's going to be easy. I am going to ask the Lord to give me 10, the, the names of 10 women. You know, women who I kind of shake their hands on a Sunday morning or we see each other in the lobby or maybe we drop our kids off at the same time for Sunday school. But I've just been too busy. I've just let demands tell me how to spend too much of my time that I've never even asked them to lunch. I've never asked them to coffee. I said, so I'm going to ask the Lord to give me 10 women and then you treat us to lunch. Call and book a room at this really cute place out in Montgomery and I'm going to just invite them to lunch and I'm going to see what's going to happen. And it's scary to put yourself out like that. I felt like I was in sixth grade all over again. You know, nobody, when we talk about the glory days, it's always in elementary school or high school. That middle school, that is a tough time. And I felt like I was in sixth grade again. Hey, want to be my friend? (laughs) You know, 
I'm really cool. My husband, he doesn't have to be around when we hang out. You know, like I'm trying to like, how am I going to break the ice? Hi, I'm Sarah and I need a friend. How are you? That's so unnatural, you know? And then part of you is, you know, I bring a lot to the table. I don't want just anybody. I don't want to look desperate, you know? So it's like, want to be my friend? You know what I mean? Like you're trying to like mental head games. Will people like me? You know, all that stuff. It's scary to put yourself out there. But I woke up one day and I was like, you know what? Demands are a harsh taskmaster. And I am not going to wake up at 65 or 75 or whatever age and have nothing to show for my life but a bunch of checked boxes on a to-do list. I'm going to have friendships to show for it. So my husband booked a room and I invited 10 women to have lunch and I just put it out there to him. After our appetizers had come because I'd hoped that they wouldn't bolt for the door, I wanted them to feel like they were excited about their meal so they'd stick it out, you know? And I said, girls, I don't know about you. And I told them my story. Every single one of them looked back at me and they said, we get it. (laughs) We get it. We're living demand to demand to demand to demand and we've got to stop. And to this day, three years later, I count those women as some of my closest friends. They would carry my husband's casket. They're strong girls. (laughs) Better than that, they'd probably pray and resurrect him from the dead. I don't know. But they'd bring a casserole when I'm sick. They're going to scrub my bathtub when I don't feel good and my mother-in-law's coming over. Those are the kinds of friends. You know, the kinds of friends that they make movies about and nobody knows how they're made. Those are the kinds of friends that just don't happen. You have to wake up one day and decide, demands aren't going to tell me where to go and what to do. I'm going to follow the voice of the Lord. Jesus could have stayed in Capernaum, had an amazing ministry. He was healing people. Lives were getting changed. His ministry was on fire. And he would have done very good things. And you and I can wake up every day and do good things, just like I did at 33. But Jesus would have missed his divine appointments had he stayed in Capernaum and not told the disciples, I have to go to these other towns. He would have never met the woman at the well. He would have never walked on the water. He wouldn't have healed the widow's son in Nain. He wouldn't have fed the 5,000. And you and I, we have this choice where the enemy wants to keep you doing what's good because he wants to keep you from what is God's best. And he's like, if I can keep her busy, I can keep her busy. She's going to feel like she's getting a lot of movement, but not a lot to show for it. And I want to challenge you guys today that if we're going to live in the sweet spot, the first thing we've got to do is discern between the voice of the Lord and demands. And I want to challenge you that in this year and every year forward, that you seek out the voice of the Lord, that you live to connect with people. God has people in mind for you to live your life with, just like he had it in mind for Jesus. And you saw the commercial about life groups. I'm not pushing life groups because, you know, I get paid by the life group. I don't work on commission. I'm pushing life groups because I know what it's like to be in the middle of a room and completely lonely, to have demands tell me where to spend my day and not have people or connection to show for it. So that's why I believe in life groups. And that's why we believe that we have to live life together. And that's what I want to challenge you with, to discern between demands 
and the voice of the Lord. So that's the first point. Number two, everybody say number two. All right. If we're going to live in the sweet spot, connected to God, connected to people, we've got to know that deep calls out to deep. We've got to discern and we've got to go deep. There's this great story in the book of Luke about two sisters. It's Luke 10, 38. And I'm going to read it to you really quick. But before I do that, I love this story because it's about two, two sisters. And I grew up the oldest of four girls. And I hate to brag about that now because now when we all get together, they're like, so who's the oldest? And I always point at somebody else. You know what I mean? Like, can I fake them out? Like, do they really believe I'm younger and all that jazz? But there's this great story, these two sisters, and the two sisters have completely different personalities. Martha is the first sister, and she is very type A. Type A is she's urgent, she's deadline-driven, she's detail-oriented, she's like schedule keeper and box checker. She's a type A. Are there any type A's here this morning? Type A, you are a kindred spirit in me. It's okay. We can raise our hands. Type A's. There you go. Yes. All right. Now there's a type B. Mary, her sister, is very type B. And type B is relaxed, one thing at a time. Very much um, focused on the feeling. How does this feel? How do I feel when you talk like this? Anybody a Mary in the room? You're very much, you're more of a chill. You're not as much, you don't like deadlines. That's too negative. You like alive lines. You know, that's kind of your mojo. Anybody a Mary in the room? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, it was funny. The young oils, the essential oils that are really hot right now, a friend of mine was talking to me about them this week, and she said, um, what you enjoy, like smelling, like the aromas you enjoy, will tell you what you need in your life. And I said, that's fascinating. I love lavender. I love the smell of lavender where it has like a little bit of bite to it. What does that tell you I need? She said, calmness. I said, what are you saying? Are you saying I'm high strung? Are you saying I'm not? (laughs) She's like, no, 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 no. This one's free. This one's on me, you know? (laughs) So I get the type A personality. That's me. And the story, I kind of relate to Martha in this story because Mary's can sometimes get on Martha's nerves. You know what I mean? Somebody's got to set the table. Somebody's got to load the dishwasher. Somebody's got to preheat the oven. It's all well and good for Jesus to be here, but what are we going to eat? You know what I mean? I got a Mary right here. She's like, yep. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's the Marthas. And the Marys are like, let's just chill. You know, it's the Lord. Man shall not live by bread alone. Let's just all like, you know what I mean? Let's just take five minutes. And I'm like, five minutes. I get paid by the hour, sister. Ain't nobody got time for that. You know, so this is the yin and the yang of the Mary and the Marthas. And we've got this snapshot of this scene where they all come to Martha's house. And I'm going to read it to you. It's in Luke 10, 38. And it says, now, while they were on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, Don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Emphasis added. Thank you. (laughs) Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion and it will not be taken away from her. 
Here's what I draw from that. Mary wanted to go deep with Jesus. She wanted to sit at his feet. She wanted to hang on his words. She wanted to soak in what he was trying to teach her. You see that in her personality. She's the one that anoints Jesus' feet and washes them. She's the one that, you know, puts the perfume on him. And this is her first introduction to Jesus. And she's just sitting there hanging on his words. She's going deep with the Lord. Martha is trying to eavesdrop on what Jesus is teaching from the kitchen over the rustling of pots and pans. That's me sometimes. Sometimes I've got this thing figured out. I can network in my sleep. I got lunch appointments with people. I've got stuff cooking and going and deadlines met. Surrey, make me an appointment for two o'clock tomorrow. And it's going and going and going. But I get about two feet off the ground with God vertically because I don't sit and go deep. You know, sometimes in my prayer life, I'm really challenged not to make it a monologue, but a dialogue. You know, I'm tempted to tell God everything and then I sit and I listen and I hear a word from the Lord. And I get up and I'm like, that was good, I'm fast, I'm good, I'm great. And the Lord's like, Sarah, I had a paragraph for you. You just let me get the first sentence out. And I was like, oh, I gotta, I gotta learn from Mary. I gotta learn from Mary that sometimes if we're gonna live connected to God and connected to people, we gotta be willing to go deep, deep with God. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you deep and unsearchable things that you do not know. Unsearchable. Sarah, the things you can't find in Google, the things you can't find out in five minutes, I will teach you. You will learn in the presence of God what you will never learn in the presence of men. If you will sit at my feet and you will just let us go deep. You know, that's a struggle in today's culture because we're being programmed to be able to receive information on a faster and faster basis. Facebook posts, Twitters, the news feed. It's not enough that we watch a news anchor. We got to see the ticker across the bottom to give us the breaking news that she doesn't have time to get to in the two minutes before we cut to a break. We're being, it's actually changing the way the mind absorbs information. And they've given it a, a term, they call it acedia. And it means, I I had to really think about it because I love to read and I I caught myself and I realized, when was the last time I finished an article? I read the first paragraph or I skim it for details, but when was the last time I like sat down and absorbed it? When was the last time I finished a book? Read the first couple chapters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know where he's going. I know where he's going. You know, it's a sedia, constant commotion without purpose. 140 characters or less. And sometimes I treat God like a Facebook post. Give it to me straight. I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. I can absorb it, absorb it, absorb it. And God's calling me to go deep. Because if I'm going to live connected to God and connected to people, i got to get better than two feet off the ground. If I'm going to find that sweet spot. So we're going to discern and we're going to go deep. And my last point this morning, if we're going to live connected to God and live connected with people, is that we're not going to sit on our life jacket. Don't sit on your life jacket. You know, when I talk about live connected to God, live connected to people, join a life group, go to our growth track, it sounds really, really easy. But I get that it's, it's really not. It's sort of uh, 
definitely a hurdle or definitely something we have to be deliberate about doing. And I was sitting on my computer and kind of ran across this comic book strip. And I was like, this is perfect. This illustrates my, my point. And so we've got two guys that are talking to each other. And the one friend tells the other, he's like, so you feel disconnected at church? And his buddy's like, yeah. He's like, well, is the preacher theologically sound? That's the first thing you ask. What's the preacher like? You know what I mean? Something's wrong with church. What's your preacher like? He's like, I I think so. I think he's theologically sound. What are the life groups like? I don't know. He's not in one. And he goes, well, do you hang out with other dream team members? You mean hang out with people at church outside of Sunday mornings? Hmm. He goes, well, you're a member of the church, right? And the little guy goes, I don't know. Growth track really wasn't my thing. He's like, why am I disconnected? They're looking at each other like, well, what do we do next? I don't know what to ask you. I don't know what to say. So tell me why you feel disconnected. And the guy says, I just don't feel like I'm being fed. How many of you have had a friend or in your own life, you get in that season where you don't feel like you're being fed? A lot of Christians, that's like Christianese. It's a very kind of like that hedge of protection we pray about around each other. We say, well, I don't feel like I'm being fed. Anyone ever heard that before from a friend? I want to submit to you that it's not about being, feeling fed. It's that they're not living in the sweet spot. They're either too far over here. I've got the people thing down and they don't have enough vertical connection or they're isolated in their silo with God And they don't have any people connection. And they're sitting on their life jacket. And you're like, well, what's a a life jacket, Sarah? What are you trying to say here? Well, let me use another analogy. When Owen was about five years old, I took the kids to the park. And the Woodlands has amazing pools. You know, it's just outstanding. And so we joined the pool and took the kids. And we were huge on swim lessons. There's just too much water. All the neighbors have a pool. You know, there's a lot of ponds, a lot of canals. And in the Woodlands, I was like, Todd, we've got to just, the kids have to know how to swim. You know, most of Houston is a swamp. Our kids just got to have that in their favor. They just got to know how to swim. So our kids did private lessons and our kids did public lessons with the city pool system. And we took my kids, I took my kids to the park pool right here at Bear Branch on Research Forest. And I can tell you that we mark time by how tall everybody's getting, because I can assure you that the Woodlands pools, the adult section, the shallow end of the adult section is three feet, four inches. I promise you, because my son was three foot, two inches, way too long. He couldn't touch bottom and he was tired of the kiddie pool scene. You know, he was ready to be in the pool with the big kids, but he couldn't touch bottom. So finally he hit a growth spurt and he, he made it three foot, four, six inches, seven inches. He was ready to get in the big pool with the big kids. And as a mom, that's like graduation day for us because that means we don't have to get in the pool with our kids. Can I get a hallelujah? Yes, Lord, I have arrived. I don't spend four hours in the pool, you know, as somebody's life jacket. So I'm sitting on the edge of the pool Owen's playing with his friends, having a good time. And I know he can touch bottom and he's very confident. And he was playing throw with one of his friends. You know, they toss those big water balls to each other and boys splash and have a good time. And somebody knocked his feet out from under him and it disoriented him. And I'm looking and I see him start to struggle. And I realize in a split second, my son is drowning. 
And immediately, you know, a million thoughts start flashing in your mind. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. This doesn't happen to my kids. My kids are not going to be a statistic. My kids are not going to drown. He can touch the bottom. He just needs to stand up. He can touch the bottom. He's not in over his head and I'm tearing off sunglasses and I'm running across the pool from my lounge chair to dive into this water and to save my son's life. He finally, I get to him, he's, he's so disoriented. He's swimming out to open water, not to the edge. Because, you know, kids get turned around. You get like two, two tablespoons of water in your lungs and your brain goes nuts. Whoa, you're drowning, you're drowning. And your body just can't figure out what to do. What's up, what's down. You're just under the water. So I grab him. I'm like, touch bottom, touch bottom, touch bottom. And I finally have him and we're calming down. And I realize, oh my gosh. I can't believe my son was almost a statistic. I can't believe my kid almost drowned in water where he could touch bottom. I can't, I can't believe this. And I was reading recently, the U.S. Coast Guard put out these stats that there were 4,000 boating accidents in the United States last year. Most of the victims drowned. Pastor Duane, if you have that life jacket. And I'm like, how on earth do they drown? Just like Owen is in water that he can touch bottom in, how do, how do these people drown? It's state law that every vessel has to have a life jacket. And then I realized they were sitting on their life jackets. They weren't wearing them. You know, Todd and I took the kids dolphin watching in Corpus Christi last summer. And the captain of the boat is giving you the safety talk. You know, if this happens, you need to do this. And by the way, your life jackets are underneath your seat. And I realize 8 out of 10, 84% of people who were in a boating accident were not wearing their life jacket. And they drowned. 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10 people said, I'm a strong enough swimmer. I got this. I've done that myself, guys. How many of you guys have seen the life jackets in your buddy's boat? And you kind of put them in the floor. And you're like, oh, I'm a good swimmer. Put one on my kid. Put one on my kid. But I'm a good swimmer. I'm a good swimmer. Yeah, I've been swimming my whole life. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Eight out of ten drown. And it reminded me of the scripture where it says to tie these teachings around your heart. To bind them around your neck. Just like a life jacket. You know, a lot of us, we hear a sermon and we're like, yeah, you know, life group, Sarah, connecting with people. I've been in church a long time. I got 20 years worth of friends. I got 30 years worth of friends. I'm going to be good. I'm a strong enough swimmer. Or Sarah, yeah, I've heard the pastor talk time and time again about making an appointment with God. Well, he and I, we talk every day when we can squeeze it in. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. And you're sitting on your life jacket. And I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter how strong a swimmer you are. It doesn't matter if you can touch bottom. Everybody gets their feet knocked out from under them. Everybody gets two tablespoons of water in your lungs and your brain goes berserk. One phone call. What do you mean my test results are irregular? (laughs) What do you mean you've lost your job? I don't understand. What are you telling me? Are you telling me we need to sell the house? A minute. Your legs get knocked out from under you. And what's going to keep you from turning into a statistic, from being not one, eight and ten, 
is connecting to God and connecting to people. It's not a way to make sure that we weather life's storms. It's the only way we're going to weather life's storms.